and welcome to Cammy's Supporters Club. I'm Chris Kamara and this is my podcast. In each episode, I'm inviting some familiar faces to chat about the football team they love and the music that they've listened to along the way. My guests will bring five tracks from their own record collections that remind them of the club they follow and their lives as football fans. Today's guest on Cammy's Supporters Club is the brilliantly talented Gabby Logan. Gabby is one of the most respected broadcasters. She's presented sports coverage on Sky Sports, ITV, and now at the BBC, she's hosted Match of the Day, Final Score, and leads the BBC's Olympics and World Cup coverage. Wow, what a CV! Gabby, it's glorious and endless. Hey, Gabby. What an introduction. <laughs> How are you? I'm really well, Cammy. How are you? Oh, I couldn't be any better. So many things you've done, Gabby. Quite incredible, really. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say so. I guess it means I'm old, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It just goes to show, you know, what a brilliant career that you've had today. Oh, well, it's been fun, but I hope it's not over. I've got so many things I want to do still. But, um, yeah, it's certainly been, I don't know, just unexpected, maybe. I think that's probably how I'd describe my career. I didn't kind of foresee it going the way it has, but um, but I've enjoyed it all. Oh, I bet you have. So what links you to Frank Lampard and Jamie Redknapp? What links me to Frank Lampard and Jamie Redknapp? Uh, well, we've all got fathers who were footballers and football managers. Famous footballing yeah. dads, yeah. yeah. And what else? What else? Um, what else would link us? Um, I'll tell you, a lifetime in football. Yeah. You grew up in football and you're still working in football, yeah. even though Frank's having a, a bit of a He's sabbatical. Having a break, yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. having a bit of gardening I mean, leave. <laughs> absolutely. You know, um, your dad was a hero of mine when he played for Leeds. He isn't in my best ever team, I have to say, but he was in... Uh, that squad it was close. of brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Leeds players. But what was it like growing up as a footballer's daughter? Well, the thing about when you grow up with whoever your dad is, you don't know any different, do you? That's that's your dad. That's your family. That's your setup. And so, when we were, when I was very little, um, you know, it's just kind of he he's got this job and that's what he does. And but then you start to realise. Pretty soon, especially I was the eldest of, of four and three of us when we were really little, because my other brother came along a lot later, people would constantly come up to him because wherever you live is where your dad's playing. Usually, you know, nowadays, of course, mm-hmm. a lot of the foreign players fly in, don't they? And kind of live here for nine months in a penthouse and then go back to their family in Buenos Aires or whatever. But then, you know, if you play for Coventry City or Leeds United, you live in the city. So um, mm-hmm. so everybody around knows who the person that you're walking down the street is. You call him dad. They call him Taff, Terry, Tell, Gaffer, whatever, you know. And so they come up to him and start chatting and and you think your dad knows everybody. You know, you think, oh, I've got this, my dad knows everybody. And, and of course, it took me till I was about 15 to stop saying to him, who's that? And he'd always go, Gaps, I don't know who he is. I don't know who that guy is. Um, and they've all got an opinion and he was very good at, you know, stopping and chatting to people. So that, that's when you start to think, okay, this, this job's a bit different. And of course, when, when our dads, you know, you mentioned the Red Knapps and the Lampards, when, when our dads were growing, when we were growing up, the Premier League didn't exist and football was, was, was probably a bit more accessible maybe. You know, and so 
and, and footballers were more accessible um, and they certainly weren't mm-hmm. paid as much money. So they lived more normal lives, if you like. You know, they lived on the same street as the fans and they lived in the same areas of the fans, maybe slightly, you know, slightly better cars. <laughs> but there was not a lot of difference. So um, I think it makes you very much part of a community, actually strangely when I look back and you become kind of very um, entrenched where you live in the city and the football is very important and and your week as well is divided up in a very interesting way because my dad used to get home from work at two o'clock 2 30 so he'd pick us up from school and you know but then I mm-hmm. might not see him from Friday lunchtime to Sunday evening you know what I mean so so it's very um it's a very different life I think in terms of oh, you know the shift the shift pattern <laughs> well you mentioned Leeds and Coventry Spurs Vancouver. Did you go with them to Vancouver? Yeah, sadly we um, we didn't move. I was desperate to when I was about nine when he went to Spurs to move to London, but my mum didn't want to downgrade the house. So basically by the time she'd got so far out of London to find a house with a garden she could afford, she was almost back to Coventry. So she said to my dad, look, you rent a house in um, North London and, and we'll stay in Coventry. And then the next move was Vancouver. She wasn't going to miss out on that, Cammy. So she was... <laughs> so... My dad went ahead of us because we had to finish the school year. And unbelievably, because my mum is into property, that's her business, and she's really good on interiors and everything, she let my dad find the house. And uh, this is a great story, actually, because we'd been in the Easter for a holiday and we'd stayed in a rented house and stuff. We loved it. We absolutely, we could all just see ourselves living there forever. It's a fantastic city. So my dad was in charge with looking for a house. And he goes and finds this unbelievable Spanish hacienda style thing, sat on side of a mountain overlooking the Pacific Ocean with wow. the Grouse Mountain behind him. And as we're driving up the British properties in West Vancouver, anybody knows Vancouver, the British properties was the place to live, especially in the 80s. And we're driving up there. It's like living in St. George's Hill or kind of, you know, Wentworth or somewhere like that. And my mum's looking like, oh my God, he's absolutely pulled it. He's knocked it out of the park. He's pulled it out of the bag. How has he done this? We go in this house and it's even more grand inside. It's incredible. My dad didn't realise the rent per month uh, was actually uh, well he thought it was the rent for the year and it was the rent per month oh. basically <laughs> so he'd almost used his whole contract on getting this house but what I loved about my parents was they just went they were so gung-ho they were like ah well sod it <laughs> it'll be so, fine <laughs> yeah oh, well you know we'll be okay so yeah we had this fantastic uh, year of living like you know this wonderful house went to a great school we lived in a beautiful area it was a dream absolute dream and the football was kind of like it was like fran- American franchise sport, you know. So it was like a show every time you went to a match. It just felt like, you know, they were putting a show on and having a, a great time. We loved going to the games there. It was brilliant. Well, you've lived in all sorts of places and towns and cities and countries. You were born in Leeds, but come on, this is Cammy's Supporters Club. Who do you support? <laughs> I support Newcastle United, which disappoints Leeds people. I mean, I've got a massive soft spot for Leeds and I've been thrilled this season to be able to do some Leeds live matches in the Premier League. And I think Leeds have been just brilliant this season. It's been great to have them back in the Premier League and it means so much to the city. You know, whenever I go home, kind of like all my cousins and stuff are just buzzing and it's brilliant. But when I went, uh, well, so my dad stopped playing for Leeds when I was four and then we moved to Coventry and we moved to Vancouver and we came back and he was managing Swansea and Bradford and Swansea and Bradford. He kind of went to and through. Then he managed Wales and in various other Yorkshire clubs, Huddersfield and of course, you move your allegiance with your dad. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. on a Saturday, your emotions are completely vested in that team. So at the time, we probably went to watch Bradford more than any other team of those teams because Swansea, we weren't always going up and down, you know, the motorway and stuff from Leeds. And we started to get our own sporting lives as well. But 
when I went to university, he was managing Wales. So I didn't even have a Saturday club. Do you know what I mean? I had I had Wales to get behind, but I didn't have a, a team anymore, really. And um, and so I went to watch Newcastle United and then I started working for the local radio station. And then I went out with a Geordie and you just you can't live in Newcastle. It's like living. It's like Leeds. You, know, you can't live there without getting sucked into the team. And and it was Kevin Keegan's first reign as manager. And it was the it was the whole, you know, it was Peter Beardsley back. And then we had David Ginola and Tino Espria and Philip Albert and, you know, and then the English lads, you know, Steve Clark and, and Robbie Elliott. And, you know, it was just it was just a brilliant, brilliant time to get sucked in to the, 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 the Geordie nation, really. I know exactly what you're talking about, because obviously my two sons followed my career. And then when I got the sack from Bradford, Jack said to me, my youngest one, Dad, I've got something to tell you. And I went, what? And he said, I'm a Huddersfield town fan. <laughs> I went, that's fine. Why haven't you told me before? He said, well, you know, uh, I was frightened in case you got upset. I went, no, 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 don't worry about that. Don't think about that. And my oldest son always remembers uh, when I was playing for Sheffield United against Arsenal, Ian Wright made a fuss of him in the tunnel uh, before one of the games. And he stayed an Ian Wright fan. So he ended up being a West Ham fan. It's like crazy. He just you followed know? Ian Wright. Yeah. Do you know what? My, my husband Kenny does that with Scottish managers. So he's, he's at heart, he's a Man United fan, right? Because of Sir Alex. But whenever a Scottish manager does well in the Premier League, he's always like, he wants them to, so he's with David Moyes one minute, you know, he's kind of like, he just loves that kind of, and, and Scottish players as well. I said, you can't just follow Scottish players, you'll have too many teams, but nowadays actually you don't have as many choices, do you? But um, yeah, I can understand that of your son. I can, you know, getting attached to a person is quite sweet, actually. So Steve Bruce is the manager now of your team. Uh, is he doing okay or not so okay? Oh, it's it's a controversial question, that, isn't it? Because it's so interesting that I follow a lot of Newcastle United um, fans kind of groups on, on social media. And obviously the fans have been very vocal about Steve and not wanting him to be there next season. And they feel it's a lack of ambition of the club. And, and then Steve's obviously got a lot of friends in the media who um, they feel are kind of unfairly backing him. But I, I feel like, you know, there have been times this season when, you know, when St. Maximum's back, the team looks better. You know, there are times this season where there've been some, there's been some exciting football and some surprise results and Newcastle have looked all right. But I won't lie, they've also been absolutely awful performances, you know, and, and they've looked boring and they've looked slow and, you know, just just not worthy really of kind of Premier League status almost and there was a point kind of after Christmas where I thought well we don't actually look like a team that should be in this league at the moment but and, that, and that's not say it said lightly you know but I think it's you know I'm, I'm on the fence here slightly because I think it's just really hard to find the fit of a manager who's going to come into a club like that where actually at the moment your hands are tied a little bit the clearly you know the owner wants to sell the club there's no kind of ambition in terms of you know the, the amount of spending or you know the kind of way the clubs the clubs in the community the club is incredible you know I'm a patron of the foundation and what the club does in the town and and, and everything is amazing but where it could be you know, as a as a club, it, it just feels like it's so far away from that at the moment. And that's not being an unrealistic fan thinking that every team, you know, should be in the top six, because I don't believe that. You know, I don't believe it has a right to be anywhere near the top six right now. But I think we could be 
we could be challenging in cups a bit more. We could be challenging, you know, we could go a bit further in the cups. We could have a little bit more ambition when it comes to silverware. When you speak to Steve on Football Focus on Match of the Day, do you stay professional? Yeah, you know, I have to. You have to do that. And I think I've always tried to, and I still think, you know, kind of, it would no matter how long. I mean, it's obviously something like Gary. You know, he's a Leicester boy. He's a Leicester fan. It's like you know, Leicester's in his blood. Everybody knows he sports Leicester. But I don't think there's any benefit for the for the audience knowing kind of you know that I'm a Newcastle United fan. And the other and the truth of it as well is when I left Newcastle to come to work for Sky in like left the area, it was '96, '97, that kind of era. And I used to fly up regularly for games. I'd go up just as a fan on a Saturday if I had a free Saturday. I'd go up and watch when I could. You know, locally if they were coming to London, I go to all the London fixtures and then I started doing regular weekend jobs because at that time I was at Sky I was working Monday to Friday and then when I started working the weekends and I couldn't go to the games as much and then I got married and then I had kids who've got their own life and suddenly you're not going to games anymore you know and that um that kind of distance between you and your club is hard I think it's much if you live in the area so I started going to watch Chelsea a lot because I lived in West London or I go to watch Fulham a lot because you know um, I even went to Brentford because you know that's and now I live out um, towards I suppose really truly my local team's Wickham um, so it's I, I kind of feel like although I'm, I'm absolutely still a fan it's hard when you're not there every week you know to kind of to, to still kind of feel like you're almost you feel like your opinions are not as valid yeah. and therefore I don't feel like I should tell the audience you, know what yeah, I mean? you kind of feel exactly. you feel a bit like a distant <laughs> fan and I don't know how these people do it you know when you know when you walk around Premier League grounds now and you see the uh, the Singapore Chelsea supporters club or the you know the Bahrain you know I don't know how these fans do it who just never see their club you know what I mean they never come to the ground yeah. you know it's amazing to think that you could have that much passion for a team because you can see when you live in a, an area but maybe I'm maybe I'm hard into something that is is disappearing from from football you know which is what a lot of that demonstration was about wasn't it ahead of that Manchester United Liverpool game you know those fans yeah. feeling disconnected from from the owners who don't go to the games yeah. <laughs> when you follow your dad around like my kids have done that passion is for your dad to be successful for you as a fan when did you realize that passion was there for Newcastle I think when I first realised that I was properly head over heels and kind of, you know, this was my team, um, was when I just couldn't miss, I, you know, I couldn't miss a match and I couldn't, I not necessarily, if I couldn't get to it, I had to watch it if it was on or I was kind of nervous during the game if I wasn't there, you know, looking for, you know, whether it was the old teletext, you know, looking for results coming through and, you know, just that feeling of kind of being vested in a way that is almost irrational, you know, when you've, because <laughs> you can't affect it. And so, and also driving up to the ground on match day, when I used to work there doing um, touchline interviews, getting butterflies, you know, that feeling of kind of excitement. And so many of the matches used to be uh, three o'clock on a Saturday back then, you know, there was like one TV game, wasn't there? So, at that beginning, you know, it was that it was that Saturday morning thing, you know, right, I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to get shot. And it was like your ritual kind of building into it in a way that I just I was more you, you touched on it a minute ago. And I thought that you were going to ask this actually about, you know, when your dad's invested in it like that, your emotion is almost for him, you know, because you're you want him to have a good game. You want him to win. You want him to be happy. And you don't have the same. I don't know. It's it's a kind of um, vicarious connection almost. But suddenly this was my thing. You know, this was and then the team that season were just so good and they were 12 points clear at Christmas and it was you know it was just an absolute all in you know you just felt that kind of I'm in this is it and then my boyfriend at the time from university he was a Geordie he'd been 
going to Newcastle United since he was a kid and he'd tell me stories about, you know, what, what it was like in the Gallagate end as an eight-year-old. And, and so I kind of had this, I was given the history. Do you know what I mean? I was felt like I was, and when you're in the Northeast as well, you know, people, everybody knows somebody who knew Jackie Milburn. And then everybody knows, you know, stories of Walls End Boys Club and all that. And so when you're living in that town and you, and you kind of, on a Saturday, honestly, women who work in kind of like the Tesco Express are wearing the Newcastle United shirts. You know, it's just like everybody is on match day talking about the game and what's going to happen. And, uh, and you know, you see the fans walking through the town. It's beautifully poised and placed, isn't it? It's a citadel, Newcastle United at St. James's Park. You just have this, it's just there in the middle of the city. You, you come in on the train, you see it. You know, you drive in, you see it. And it's got that kind of cathedral-like kind of experience almost. And I'm not being, you know, I don't think I'm being too evangelical about it, but it does have that it's like a church. For, it was like a church for me. Do you know what I mean? It was like going somewhere with this kind of, you know. I'm getting goosebumps here. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, I, and also, I remember taking there, I was doing some filming there. Um, I was doing a live match before Christmas, the Liverpool game. And, um, and the makeup artist, who's really funny, she's worked with me for 10 years, but she still has no idea how long a football match is. And she said to me, have we been here before? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know if you've been here with me. She went, this is amazing. And she never comments on any ground, you know what I mean? And I was like, I was kind of like secretly kind of quite proud because every time I go there, I just think, wow, this ground just, it is just one of the best. And I remember reading like one of the football magazines at the end of the season, 442 or something, um, the fans uh, survey, all the, all basically more fans cited Newcastle United as their second favourite ground to their own ground um, regularly. That used to be the regular kind of, I mean, that was before Manchester City had built their absolute, you know, kind of chandelier of a ground and before Spurs had re- rebuilt White Hart Lane. But, um, but yeah, I think it was just, and, you know, I know one of the tracks that I've chosen for you today is also so emotional and that whole experience that if, if, the, if, St. James's Park is the cathedral. This was the hymn. So let's get into our music then. We've asked guests on Cammy's Supporters Club to bring along five tracks from their record collection. And your first track is from the Local Hero album and it's called Going Home. Why have you chosen that? This is the music that is played uh, when you when, when you go to St. On match day when the, when the players are coming out and... As soon as it starts, you know, everybody just, all the fans just seem to kind of, the shoulders just relax a little bit, you know, because it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. There's that feeling of like this, we're home now, you know, and I love, I love Dire Straits, which is very unfashionable to say so, but they are entrenched in the Northeast. You know, Mark Knopfler is a, is a genius. And I wanted to learn guitar when I was at um, doing my breakfast show in Newcastle. And so I used to go off lessons after my breakfast show at 10 o'clock in these woods where I lived. There was this guy in this kind of little, little house in the woods. And he used to be a session guitarist for Dire Straits. And in the end, Cammy, what I did was he just used to play Dire Straits songs to me while I pretended to be doing a lesson. I gave him 10 quid for the lesson and I realised I couldn't even play a chord. I just used to sit there holding the guitar going, just play that again, play that again. So this is, yeah, this is just like, this is soothing balm for me. It's iconic and brilliant. So let's have a listen. mistaken or was that tune used on Sky Sports at some stage? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Mm. I think it was used at some stage. And it's also I host the Great North Run now, which is one of the great 
mass participation events in the world and it's one of the great days of work I do in the year and that's played lots around the start of the race you know you hear it and because Brendan Foster obviously who started the uh, the Great North Run as, a, as an event uh, is it 40 or 50 or 40 years ago he's he's a big Newcastle United fan as well Right your second track is Oasis Champagne Supernova how does this mean so much to you? Um, I, I I love uh, Oasis. Kind of is also a very evocative of football for me for some reason, and I don't know. Kind of when I worked at Sky, um, which was uh, in the late nineties, that was the whole Britpop scene kind of going on, and that was very, you know that was still in the first decade of the Premier League then. And it just felt like things were really changing. You know, in, in, the, the country felt different. Uh, football was really reaching out into parts of society that had never said they enjoyed football before and you know you had these kind of I don't know new fans almost coming to the game you know and and that was exciting because um, football was was kind of not reinventing itself you know on the pitch but just giving it it just was elevated a bit beyond perhaps those communities I talked about before Mm -hmm. and Oasis were this you know obviously their colours are very much tied to the Man City mast Um, but yeah I just felt I could have picked one of about 10 of their tracks that just sums up that period for me that kind of late 90s exciting time we come off the back of Euro 96 and um, it was all kind of things were just moving politically you know we had Tony Blair uh, coming into power and it was just it just felt like a different you know things were changing in our country and um, and Oasis were you know in the battle of the bands for me you know being a northern lass uh, they beat Blur can hear that you know like the, the, the stereo absolutely ramped up in the car you know driving home from the game or driving to the game it's that kind of you know good kind of anthemic track really it's funny my my son's 15 and he plays uh wasps academy and um on the way to training because they have to train in coventry it's his music and on the way back um my husband or I are allowed to choose tracks and then sometimes he'll just do a mix but he's always got Oasis tracks in the return journey and it's like for him that's vintage music right it's like 20 odd years old and for me I'm going oh excellent you know but it's funny like they're enduring aren't they they're enduring in the same way as when we were kids or when I was a kid some of my dad's music my parents were really into Motown and so a lot of their music was kind of, you know, what I liked listening to. So, um, yeah, I like it that uh, we, we did um, on Sports Personality of the Year, Noel Gallagher sang with his new band, High Flying Birds. And my son was watching Spotty that year and suddenly became a massive Oasis fan. And I just love that, you know, feeling like, oh, my God, that's like second time yeah, round. Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> absolutely. I was in uh, Ukraine for, uh, when the Euros were on. Yeah. And um, Noel and I went to the game together. Oh, so in the evening, uh, after the game, he hired a nightclub for uh, people from the FA and all his family and friends who were there. We were in Barbados on holiday and Kenny had a little winter break and um, I was, uh, no, actually I wasn't, I wasn't pregnant on this particular holiday. It was, we were single, um, as in we didn't have kids. We had a really good holiday and we ended up hanging out with Liam Gallagher and his wife at the time. And we ended up having a really kind of late night with them, drinking lots of champagne, you know, as you do when you're with Oasis. And at one point he asked Kenny 
about we're talking about rugby and Kenny got his head in a headlock <laughs> and I've got a picture of, of Liam Gallagher in a headlock with Kenny so I was like I might need that at some point oh, that picture just before we move on uh, is there any players at Newcastle who played who weren't superstars but they stuck out for you well you've got players like Lee Clark you know who wasn't a you know a superstar but you know he was just Newcastle through and through and I think there was the, in that period there were so many kind of like that early uh, period that I was watching them there were so many local guys there you know who were who were kind of just loving their life playing for their home club you know who was your favorite 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 Oh, how can you not say, you can't not say Shearer, can you really, in terms of his records, you know, his goal scoring and getting us into European quarterfinals and stuff, pretty much, you know, <laughs> leading that team through that period. I think he was, I mean, it's always great as well when somebody who is the best at what they do in terms of goal scoring comes back to play for their home team as well. Um, so I guess he would have to be the ultimate. But in terms of, I mean, I was a big um, Andy Cole fan for Newcastle you know I, I was gutted when Andy Cole left um, and that was you know that was a, a tough thing for Newcastle United fans to take because we saw ourselves as well, well, why do you want to go to Man United <laughs> I mean you stay here we're, we're going to win things and of course he went on and he had a prolific career with Manchester United so um, yeah I'd uh, I'm going to switch actually I'm going to say Big Les so Les so Les oh what a choice, yeah. what a choice. Yeah. But I think I know, I mean, imagine choosing between Les Ferdinand and Alan Shearer. <laughs> yeah. like... Well, we all remember that time when Kevin Keegan was stood on those steps just after he sold Andy Cole to answer the fans. Yeah. And then Shearer rocks up the next day and all's forgotten. Yeah, exactly. It was, um, yeah, it was a few months later, wasn't it? It was like a kind of, it was a cold winter's day. I remember when Andy Cole went and I was sent out to do Vox Pops with people on because I was working at the local radio station. Um, and people were just livid, absolutely. And I'd experienced similar when I was at Leeds. I wasn't working at this time, but I remember when I was at Leeds, um, I was back home and and Eric Cantona left Leeds and uh, and obviously the Leeds fans were like, you know, just livid about that. And it was um, it was kind of a similar feeling, really, because anybody that loses a player like that to Manchester United feels gutted, don't they? Because, you know, it's you're kind of through gritted teeth. You kind of know that you can't fight it. Your next song is also sung by a Newcastle fan. It's Sting who I found out his favourite Newcastle United player is Bobby Monker, the legend. Oh, really? Yeah. I sat next to Bobby at um, the Newcastle United Foundation dinner, the last one we had before lockdown, actually. He's a lovely man. He's a lovely oh, man. Oh, he's great. Well, you've got to tell him that Sting says he's his all-time favourite Newcastle wow. player. Well, Barry Venison I used to work with um, on uh, a show for ITV. He, obviously Newcastle United, uh, long flowing locks, he um, uh, became good friends with Sting because they lived in the same part of the world, or one of Sting's many houses. And um, and Barry used to go and help uh, Sting work out what to buy for his wine cellar. And I thought, oh, if I ever see Sting, I've got an in here. You know what I mean? I can go over and say, oh, you know. So I saw him once at a party and well, he totally blanked me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me like he'd never heard of Barry Venison. I was like, okay, um, I'll just, I'll just go. I'm this custard pie's all over my face right now, so I'm just going to go and wipe it off. So yeah, um, but I still, but that hasn't stopped me choosing a sting track. If I ever lose my faith, let's have a listen.
Next thing song, if I ever lose my faith in you, if ever a song was true for a football fan, well, they lose faith, but they always come back. We are on to your fourth track. Now, our Vida Saint Pet was an iconic programme and Jimmy Nail played the brilliant character Oz. What a programme. For this was a It's a great song because it's about the time, you know, the river really does kind of dominate all the topography of the of the city and it's just beautiful how it kind of wraps itself around it. It's quite emotional when you actually listen to it and Mark Knopfler plays the guitar on it as well. Because a lot of a lot of the song talks about the industry obviously. And the um, and the Tyne is, you know, was uh, along the banks of the Tyne. You had all the kind of the industry that most of the men in the area would have been employed in. And and the football was synonymous with that as well, you know. And so the history of the, of the city is all about that kind of, you know, the working man. And, you know, people will know about the big market, for example, which is where the wages were kind of spent from Thursday night to Sunday, you know. And that's what and it was this kind of this whole thing of working really hard enjoying your football and going out for a pint that kind of culture that you know the city kind of grew up on and the river was was at the heart of all of that and actually the river is still for me at the heart of everything that's good about that area in the city because of so much beautiful kind of architecture that sprung up now along the river and there's there's even like you know lots of really cool places to go and eat and drink along the river there's the art gallery there's you know there's so much great stuff there so um yeah it's a if you're not if anybody's listening to this and they haven't been to newcastle go for a weekend because you'll you'll not just have really good fun and see some really interesting things you will meet some of the best people in the country you are an honorable geordie <laughs> i'm offering you that status <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely right we've talked beardsley ginola shearer waddle we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned waddle no he was waddle was obviously pre my my coming into the, be a Newcastle fan, but yeah, what one of the you know, I mean, I remember sitting down to interview him about him moving to Marseille, um, and you know, and just the experience of being kind of because uh, England were playing in Marseille during the Euros, and we was we were tying it in with that, and you know, he's he was a cultured footballer, wasn't oh, he? He was, was a brilliant. you know, the, he could play you know in a way that I, I kind of not many people were playing in English football and um, and gosh how lucky Newcastle were to to have had him and to have had him at the same time as, as Paul Gascoigne as well I mean it's you know it's when you think about it it's remarkable isn't it really oh, just a bit it, he was superb I signed him when I was manager of Bradford and uh, I got him from Falkirk he'd gone up to Scotland and I thought let's get him back down to England and we played um, uh, Everton in the sixth round of the FA Cup. Yeah. Anyway, I called him into my office the day before the game and I said, look at this. Neville Southall was playing on the edge of his penalty box the whole time. So he, he was the first goalkeeper starting moves. So sometimes he'd kick it long and sometimes he'd kick it short. Yeah. So I said to Wads, if you get the ball anywhere around the halfway line, just hit it. Because you've got that quality, you can do it. Anyway, lo and behold, 15 minutes into the game, ball ends at Wads' feet. 
and he hits it first time. Neville's trying to run back and save it, goes in the back of the net. We win the game. Uh, but when he scored, I didn't know what to do as the manager because we'd gone through it the day before. So I ended up doing a somersault in the <laughs> what is now the technical area. But it wasn't a somersault. You can imagine it was a roly-poly, as it used to be. And I got up from this roly-poly, and Joe Royal was the Everton manager. And if looks could kill, I would have been dead. But Joe Royal, I, I tried to apologise to him afterwards, but he wouldn't have it. But Chris Waddle, what a player, what a magnificent player. But... We have gone through the list of icons and we haven't mentioned Gaza. Mm. We've saved the best till last. You must have a Gaza story. Well, Gaza kind of is above them all, isn't he, really? Gaza, Gaza is, oh my gosh, do I? I mean, he, I was lucky enough to interview him quite a lot of times, actually, in my career. And um, one of the most heartbreaking times, actually, was when I worked with him at the World Cup in 2000 and two which was the japan and south korea world cup and we were itv were based in london for most of it and it was oh we were getting up at three in the morning stuff like that because the time difference you know so it was crazy kind of weird life that we were kind of all living where you'd finish work at 11 and then gaza would go out for a massive lunch you know because he was he was enjoying his wine a bit too much at that point and he was having a very emotional time because of what was going on in his private life and and i felt like i kind of was almost like I was when I was with him I was having to kind of really look after him do you know what I mean like he was he was just he just felt like he needed a lot of cajoling and and then the next day he'd come in and he'd do something like the maverick he is something completely out you know outrageous and the match that I'm going to refer to we had Gary Neville was injured remember he didn't go to the world cup and Gary Neville was on crutches and came in to be on the show mm -hmm. as a pundit as well um, I wonder if that was his first punditry, actually. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? You showed him the way, yeah. To, uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gary, come in. Hey, hey lad. And I had Andy Townsend, because wherever Gaza was, Andy Townsend was close by, because he was like his minder. And Gaza was on the show. So three great guys, right? And Gaza wasn't anywhere near the set. And we were like, oh, Gaza, we're four minutes away from going on air, three minutes away from going on air, two minutes from... Go and where the hell's Gaza? Where's, where's Gaza? Can't find Gaza. The music is literally rolling. Gaza walks into the studio wearing a long blonde wig that he'd found at the back of the set. So he literally looked like something from ABBA, you know, um, that whole kind of like bright blonde hair, like Pamela Anderson style blonde, and just sits down. And like, I said, are you keeping that on? He went, hmm, yeah, yeah. And he literally just started the show as if it was totally normal. It's like, uh, and so I'm like, welcome everybody. Um, I can't remember which the match was. Uh, you know, let's, let's say the match was Ireland, Italy. It wasn't. Um, I'm delighted to say that uh, we've got... Gary Neville, Andy Townsend and Paul Gascoigne. And Paul just went, hello. <laughs> and that was it. He stayed in this wig. And Andy's absolutely hysteric. Gaz uh, Gary Neville just doesn't know what he's like thinking. What the hell have I got myself into here? I play for Manchester United and I'm sat between, you know, these lot. And that was Gaza. You know, he's just one of those kind of people that with that level of genius, oh. let's say it, you know, there, there comes also... A, you know a fragility doesn't there and there becomes a vulnerability and um and he was a he was a vulnerable person and 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 you know he he was very sensitive and but just i know what he's just such a beautiful man you know what i mean he was very mm -hmm. kind and very generous and maybe too generous you know and that's probably what got him into trouble at times but what a genius you know just if only you look back and think should he have gone to italy when he did if he'd stayed with a manager who understood him in the UK, maybe even with more people around him who understood him. 
You know, did we really ever see the very best of Paul Gascoigne? But you have chosen Gazza singing. <laughs> I'll let you introduce this one. Well, he is a Newcastle United legend. And, you know, his early, if you've read any of his kind of biographies and autobiographies, you know, his his early football life, he's he's just atypical of so many of those lads who came through the, the, the working men's clubs kind of football teams and all of that. And, and he talks about the places he ran on the streets and things. And, you know, you know that, in his heart will always be Newcastle and uh, this is Fog on the Tyne. Wow. <laughs> what a character as you said. <laughs> Do you know what though, Cammy? You know, footballers used to do songs all the time, didn't they? When you've talked about Waddle, obviously, he, you know, he he, had, he fancied himself as a bit of a pop star, Waddle and Hoddle. And footballers always used to, you know, sing an FA Cup song or a World Cup song. And, and so Gaza singing Fog on the Time, as ridiculous as it sounds now, it didn't seem it then, did it? Do you know what I mean? Gaza doing a rap almost over Fog on the Time. Um, I just think it would be hard to talk about my love of Newcastle United without mentioning one of the greats in Paul Gascoigne. One of the greats is you, Gabby Logan, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Cammy. Thanks for listening to Cammy's Supporters Club. Make sure you subscribe to Cammy's Supporters Club on your podcast provider of choice, and you'll never miss out on any of the action. And if you've enjoyed listening... Give us a review and a rating. I'll be chatting to another guest very soon. See you then.